0: It's Friday. It's June 17th. This is Real Talk. Ryan Jesperson, John Hicks with you in just a moment. Sapria Devetti, then Linda Steele and Jody Vance, not messing around on this week wrapping edition of the show. My favorite Sapria is back. You don't even hide it anymore. Hey, oh, Now all the other guests show up and so much. You're going to you're going to John behind the scenes is obviously always talking to the guests uh, in the in the chat, letting getting the zoom lined up, getting everything figured out. So there's technical perfection. And now every other guest that shows up on the show, uh, you're going to say, I'm so glad you're here. And they're going to say, yeah, right, we're all competing for the silver medal in your heart, John. Thanks I very much. I just love
1: Supriya. She's so on point, And I know. She's had a few weeks off here, so she's yeah. got some stuff building. She's she's ready to unleash.
0: I don't know if she listens to this. I suspect she doesn't, though. I don't want to make any assumptions. I doubt she listens to the Spit and Chicklets podcast. <laughs> no, but former—you uh, never know. Former NHL, <laughs> probably not. No. former NHLer Ryan Whitney uh, made a lot of noise, didn't he, when he traveled through Pearson a while ago on his way to Boston. He did, and I, you know, I grew up in Toronto, yeah. so I kind of like you know when someone like is is hounding on your hometown. You kind of get like, uh, my shoulders went up and Not everything. even the hometown, just the hometown airport. Yeah, but I will say this, that airport is, because I fly home all the time for Christmas and stuff. My family's still back there. My mom, my grandparents. It is, it is not great. <laughs> No, he it was is. there, I guess his travel, I can't remember flying where to where. But anyway, yeah. a flight that should have been four and a half, five hours was 26 hours. <laughs> it was like two days. He lost his mind on his podcast on Spitting and chiclets And then um, MPs, conservative MPs invoked his name in the House of Commons talking because Ryan Whitney says, I guess the reason Pearson's so backed up is because of staff vaccine mandates. The unvaccinated yeah, can't work. At C-. And I I'm going, I don't know if that. that's like no. A to B equals C. Um, but uh, so anyway the, the, In the House of Commons They're going Listen Let's listen to Wit, And let's lift vac- You know Let's lift vac- I heard you know, that. I'm kind of going like- Oh, Let's listen I mean Wit's He's hilarious He's a great hockey player It has nothing to do with anything But let's If you're a politician I, I'd, I'd stay away from Barstool sports <laughs> It's not good to wade into those waters. So I'm curious to know where she'll go on that. And uh, and then later in, in the show, our Real Talk roundtable today, Linda Steele, Jody Vance, they've got their new show, Steele and Vance, on Check TV and BC. I had no idea about this. The station, Check, C-H-E-K, is employee owned. Wow. Right. And so when they're they're we're talking like sh- to them, they're
1: shareholders or like, yeah, boy. well, I want
0: to ask them how it works. But I, I reached out to them because they announced that they had this show. The show's launching in the fall. I wanted mm-hmm. to get them ahead of launch. And plus, it's just always fun to check in with those two. And it was pretty cool because right off the top, Jody says, Jody Vance says, like you, we're excited to have full carte blanche on content and how we connect with viewers. We own the show. Check is Canada's only Employee-owned TV station. How cool is that? Right. So we'll get into that on the Real Talk Roundtable. This show presented by our friends at Bitcoin. Well, it's it's, it's been a hell of a ride for Bitcoin. Obviously, uh, you take a look at it's, it's kind of holding right now. I, I always hesitate to say numbers on this because it's Friday, June seventeenth. You might be listening to this in November. I, you know, you might listen to this tomorrow. Things have changed, but. Bitcoin's been hovering right around 30 grand Canadian right now, which is well off where it was earlier this year, but way up from where it was like two years ago. And people are going, well, is it bear? Is it bull? What's going on? What should I do? We never tell you to buy or sell Bitcoin. I do guarantee you if you have questions, the best place you're going to go to get answers is my pal Benny at Bitcoin. Well, look for him under the sponsors tab at RyanJesperson.com.
2: Real talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson.
0: I've also got a letter, a great letter from Christy, Christy S. She wrote into the show following our, it's been kind of an ongoing conversation about supervised consumption services and harm reduction. And she's got a take asking why we feel the way we do about white trash versus white collar. It's a great email to talk at ryanjesperson.com, and I promise I'll leave some time for it today. Sapria DeVetti is a great friend of the show, obviously a member of our editorial board here at Real Talk, the director of policy and engagement at the Center for Media, Technology, and Democracy at McGill University. She's senior counsel at Enterprise Canada. You see her all over Canadian media, including power and politics, and right here every Friday on Real Talk. It's so good to see you my friend. The sun is is blasting through your window and just washing across your face. Is it, <laughs> what's it look like in Oakville, Ontario today? Nice day.
3: It's very nice and sunny. Um a lot of eastern Ontario got hit with uh pretty bad storms yesterday and somehow Oakville managed to be in this like weird protective uh, bubble and it just sort of skated all over our region so yeah That's sunshine all around
0: what you get with higher property taxes sometimes mother nature just you know <laughs> it's like in our neck of the woods Edmonton gets hammered with storms and St. Albert's just like I don't know what you guys are talking about
3: <laughs> the red
0: robins and blue jays are out um, you've been well like things have been been humming along and obviously there's a lot going on right now we, we've got a lot to catch up on uh, Doug Ford with this obviously uh, uh, a big uh, mandate, from voters, a yeah. mandate from Ontario voters a huge mandate from Ontario voters an even bigger majority government second time around. You can't say everybody saw that coming six months out from the election.
3: No, for sure not. And I mean, you know, as the, uh, as we got closer to the election, I mean, he was certainly ahead in polling. Um, and then we got into the actual throes of the campaign. And, you know, I mean, to put it lightly, the opposition, both the NDP and the liberals ran pretty Lackluster, suboptimal—you know—insert your qualifier here. But generally, sucky campaigns. Um, and the Ford camp, you know, they played it as smart as they could strategically. Um, they limited his exposure—that um, is, Doug Ford's exposure—to like questions and the like, and they kept him on message. The other really interesting thing was that. Um, you know, Ford and his team—it's—they seem to have actively leaned out of a lot of the culture war stuff that the federal conservatives seem to be quite consumed with um, right now. And you know, one can't help but conclude, or at least lead them to that conclusion, that that would have helped them—you um, know—not scare off some of the more moderate or, or centrist voters, because there's a lot of overlap between um, people who vote. Uh, for the liberals federally and then people who voted for the PCs um, under Doug Ford this time.
0: Mm. You know, we do this trash talk thing every Friday uh, where we wrap up in the week with uh, people getting a few things off their off their chest. And I won't read this right now, but there's one from Leslie here that's talking. She's touching on. Uh, well, you can pick from it. She's touching on the United Conservative Party leadership race happening in, in Alberta right now. It kind of feels like the soft launch of that. We're still waiting for some big announcements. Everybody wants to know what Michelle Garner is going to do. I'll ask yeah. you about that. She's pretty much tweeted that she's doing it, right? I she's, think she's she, doing it, she's, yeah. She's going to do it. And if she does it, she's going she's gonna, to, I'll say, landslide win. Um, it'll be interesting right now. There's a few front runners. We'll get to that in a second. I'm getting myself off track. The point I want to make is... <laughs> is that this letter from Leslie into the show, she she talks about vision. I don't want to wreck it because I want to read it later. But she says enough of this talk about, like, fighting Ottawa, fighting the provinces, all the stuff about Alberta sovereignty. Uh, And she says, I I love Alberta, love Western Canada in the email. Um, You see a lot of that rhetoric and all the fighting stuff and all the kind of going to war stuff. And then you look at Jason Kenney's recent performance in the leadership review and 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 you take a look at what the candidates for leadership are saying now, like two of them on this show alone have talked about apologizing, have talked about listening, changing the tone of government, earning the trust back from yeah. people. And then you look at what Doug Ford did in the playbook and what you mentioned there and the fact that he really did ease off the gas and all the talk about fighting Justin Trudeau and all that, all that kind of stuff and, and just kind of. Portrayed himself as the people's premier, right? The everyman. And it worked.
3: It did. And, you know, aside from all of the not going to war or whatever with the feds, um, the other thing is, just, you know, just really actively leaning out of the culture war stuff. In 2018, um, the PCs were big on, you know, repealing sex ed education and like getting rid of uh, a particular part of the curriculum that was focused on um, Indigenous history, right? None of that was present this time around. Um, last time, Doug Ford went on this whole thing about like, left-wing campuses being out of control and how he was going to fight for free speech. Like, you know, you could pick whatever from the 2018 platform that was just not there um, in 2022. And there's, you know, all sorts of reasons for that. The pandemic obviously changed uh, government's priorities, but I just think it's really interesting that, you know, when conservatives do win, um, at least in in Ontario or in parts of Eastern Canada, um, like Nova Scotia is another great example, um, they do so by being Aggressive conservatives and not leaning into some of the, uh, you know, more red meaty yeah. sort of stuff that the base tends to really like.
0: Do you think that that's maybe more because people are changing? Like, is it maybe more the politicians reacting to where the electorate is at? I don't know. Maybe people. Maybe I, the, the he, average person is exhausted by the culture where the the university campus censorship stuff.
3: Yeah, I mean, maybe, but I think part of it, at least in Ford's example, is he's not so. Twitter obsessed or social media obsessed, um, that you know, uh, leadership contender like Pierre Polyev might be right. Like he's not as steeped into that digital world, so I think it's easier for him to focus on what he would assume or what he would imagine his actual priorities to be because he doesn't sort of get dragged down into a lot of that nonsense. And you know, to your point, if you're dealing with the fact that you're gas prices are spiking um, and your your groceries are also spiking and you're thinking about how you're going to make ends meet. Do you really give a fuck about uh, left wing campus culture being out of control or do you care about you know economic uh, solutions um, from your government and I think that's uh, what the Ford camp very rightfully read um, in terms of the writing on the wall and that's what they leaned into.
0: I I wish sometimes I think maybe we'll do this for like our Patreon supporters or something we'll just do uh, reels of us scrolling through our text conversations you and I because I think they're (laughs) equally as enlightening and they're pretty entertaining but people will remember and I want to remind people that before you and I last spoke or maybe a couple of of conversations ago, you were pretty adamant. You were, you, you were pointing out specifically that there was almost no conversation about healthcare uh, within the Ontario election uh, period through that campaign, as well as through the federal conservative leadership. Uh, you were saying that there's essentially a void there. We'll check this out. You tweeted about it yesterday as CTV News is reporting that Canada's healthcare system is collapsing around us. The Canadian Medical Association president, the one going on record and saying that, and I love your tweet. You just say, too bad we didn't have a federal election, a provincial election should discuss and address this. You called it, but this is the area where you don't really want to be right.
3: Yeah, you don't want to be right. And it's so silly that we didn't talk about it during the federal election, right, because we almost did. And I mentioned this last time um, when that video came out of Aaron O'Toole talking about efficiencies. There is nothing he said in there that was out of the realm of normal conservative thinking in this country. Um, And yet everything about that video ended up being completely focused on how it was presented by um, Christopher Freeland. And we just lost sight of the actual substantive conversation there. And in Ontario, it was just completely absent. And it made no sense because we had these opportunities. Um, We didn't talk about them. And, you know, I, I mean, part of that is also I I would say legacy political media not properly focusing on these issues in a way that, you know, kind of forces our political folks to actually have to answer and provide solutions for this. And I'm not really sure what we're going to do now, because, you know, if anybody watched Dr. Um, Smart make the president of the CMA, the Canadian Medical Association, in that clip i mean there's there's a lot of simultaneous things that are happening it's multifactorial in nature we have a huge surgical procedural backlog we've got um you know healthcare worker burnout and attrition we have healthcare workers that are faced with you know continuing COVID issues you know either in terms of long COVID or acute COVID that they're dealing with. So they have to take time off. And it's just, I don't know, there's a family uh, medicine crisis as well with family docs leaving the practice. So people aren't getting the primary care that they need. And in Ontario, nurses also saw their pay effectively cut with legislation that the Ford government had passed during its, uh, you know, its, its first tenure, um, which capped their pay at 1%, which is, of course, below inflation during normal times. And is, you know, very much below uh, inflation during these times. Mm.
0: Um, can we, uh, I'm asking you this live, so sorry. Can, yeah. can we Can we touch on for a yeah. second? Generally, yeah, yeah, I know where you're going. Oh yeah, your your yeah. personal journey and maybe some weeks why we're seeing you here, some weeks why we're not seeing you here. And, and, and is that factoring into what we're talking about? I'm leaving this as vague as possible. I'll let you take the baton.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I think anyone who follows me regularly or has followed me for a while, I've been open about this. I have a a detached retina in, in this eye. And I have a scleral buckle that is, um, you know, that I had surgery for, which is just basically a thing that keeps my retina attached to the rest of my eye. Um, And I need to get it sort of like touched up, fixed, whatever. There's an issue with it and I I need to get it fixed. So, um, you know, my optometrist first was like, "Mm, there's an issue here. Um, And, you know, first line, which is fine, but then I need to see an actual, ophthalmologist for it. And, you know, you have a procedure done for it and it's, uh, yeah, it's not going to be easy. Um, and it's not going to be, uh, exactly soon. And so that's, that's an a huge issue and like, I'll ultimately be fine. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm young. It's not really a a super huge emergency, all hands on deck sort of thing. Um, but it just goes to show that, um, all of these issues, you know, they do end up affecting real people. Like when you say there's a surgical and procedural backlog in Ontario of like over a million, um, procedures, like those are affecting actual people and actual families that then have to figure out, you know, what they're going to do in the meantime. And in a lot of cases, it means that there's, there's situations and that their health is going to deteriorate um, during that time. And that's, 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 yeah, I I just, I, I, I'm at a loss for words because it's like, what do we do? What do we tell those people? You know, they've paid their taxes, they've um, paid into the system. Um, they thought their healthcare system was going to be there for them when they needed it. And and now it's not. And it's like at the onset of the pandemic, all of the talk was about protecting the healthcare system, right? Like that's what we needed to do. Yeah. We needed to we needed to mask up. We needed to distance from one another all because of the healthcare system. And it's like, we just sort of forgot about that. And but like the healthcare system still needs protecting. And I'm not suggesting that, you know, we go back to March, 2020 vibes by, by any stretch, but like I don't know. We've got we've got to demand something from the folks in charge um, that largely led us to this point.
0: Yeah, uh, I appreciate you sharing. I always think that like personal testimony is, is a lot of times you know a lot more powerful than the kind of talking head approach on these types of things. Like, yeah. You know, I mean, you're talking about a, a backlog of a backlog of a million procedures. You think about that, and and I know you're. Making the exact same point, if it's if it's a hip replacement or a knee replacement, where somebody's making their way through life in in serious pain every single day, it's not ridiculous to start talking about tie-ins to things like the opioid crisis. And the longer that of people are on yeah. high-powered opioids and pain medications to deal with things, they need to get fixed by surgery, they can't get into see, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, the cycle it, it creates enormous issues, let alone the fact, like you just said, that people are living in, like, I don't know, even just with your eye or with whatever, uh, whatever it is, every single person has a story and it's brutal when you can't get it rectified. And this is the type of thing that the issue that really matters to people, obviously.
3: Yeah. And like, if you don't have a family doctor, right. Or if you miss that sort of primary um, care person, that's going to help identify what these issues are. Um, you're only showing up to a doctor when your situation has progressed and is much worse. And so this is why we're seeing folks, um, you know, show up in in, in the ER um, because they're missing that sort of preventative or primary care level that's meant to be there in our system. And, you know, it's been chronically underfunded. It's not the fault of any one government or even one, you know, partisan stripe of government. Um, There's certainly enough uh, blame to be uh, shared all around here. But um, I I don't know, we just we need to get better at this. And and hopefully this leads us to have more substantive conversations about this because we can't keep hiding our head in the sands um, we're already at a crisis point
0: I like there's a, there's a little back and forth on our live chat right now which I welcome and love and Colette says uh, anybody who didn't have a conservative privatization agenda, has predicted this it is a provincial conservative issue um, I want to leave this to you to answer I want to just say once I, I'm not so sure about that I see NDP liberal premiers and governments across the country as well that have had issues with healthcare. but I digress that's Colette's comment Haas says rationed health care is an inevitability of single-tier health care um, which I love to sink in on and talk about that two very different perspectives here your thoughts
3: yeah, I mean, look, I, I think the if it was just a partisan thing, right, um, then I think the situation in British Columbia would certainly be better. They have an NDP government there. That's certainly not the case. Um, and if it was and, I you know, I, I'm not going to ascribe motives or whatever to what the Ford government may be thinking in terms of what they want to do to the healthcare system. I'll let that sort of play out. They, they may pr- prefer, you um, privatizing certain elements, um, in which case, yeah, like Canadians and Ontarians in particular are going to have to get really loud about that if they don't want that to happen in terms of, you know, rationing our healthcare because it's single tier or whatever. I mean, I would argue that we don't really have single tier healthcare. There are privatized elements of our healthcare system already. Um, and you know, I think there are, uh aspects of our publicly funded healthcare system that are obviously um you know there's room for improvement but just to shit on the whole system as a whole because it's you know uh, not the one you prefer i don't think is really accurate either and i mean if that was the case then uh we would see jurisdictions that do have you know fully privatized systems um or more privatized systems Uh, not dealing with some of these issues that we're dealing with, but that's also not necessarily the case because things like healthcare worker burnout, right, um, is very real and healthcare workers being um, sick with COVID or with other issues and particularly with long COVID um, is also a very real issue. And this is what happens when we let the virus just run rampant and reinfect um, healthcare workers time and time and time again.
0: Huh. Um uh, do you like is your scenario your situation you know for some people there's like there's things that you you can't have access to private services for unless you travel you go to Mexico or Europe or somewhere around the world where they could do the surgeries. Others there is the option depending on what it is. Do you is yours with your eye is is there an are there clinics like if you wanted to, I don't know what it would be whether it's Yeah, probably 9000 yeah, or 40000 you go and just get it done yourself right now if you needed to.
3: Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Do I want to spend 40 grand?
0: Well, no, but like, is that even, is that even an option for you? Whether or not you want to, is that, do you know, have you looked into that or do you know how that works? I mean, i no,
3: I haven't actually properly looked into it. Yeah. Um,
0: it's, it's not number because- one on your list.
3: Yeah. And I mean, like, am I going to go to another country to get a procedure done? What's my like liability protection there if mm. they screw up my it's my eye, right? It's not like if they fuck up my eye, like that's bad. Like, what do I, you, you yeah, know, we got like we got
0: talking on LASIK just the other day and like the laser yeah. eyes. I think LASIK's a brand name, isn't it? So maybe I shouldn't I say think so. That. But but like laser eye surgery, basically. Right. And uh, John and I both were kind of, I think I was even a little bit more hesitant than you were. Uh, But I'm just like, I don't want lasers anywhere near my eye, right? And, and somebody writes in, I think it was a physician that wrote in, if I remember correctly. Somebody wrote in and said, "There's," he says, I don't know if this is a fair comment or not, but I, I tend to notice that all the laser eye surgeons wear glasses. And I thought, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's an interesting comment. Uh, I digress. Okay, uh, let me ask you this. Uh, let's turn our attention back to Alberta because it really is a federal political story. Uh, whoever you know wins the leadership of the United Conservative Party in Alberta becomes Alberta's next premier. They're not an interim premier. They become premier. Will they call a snap election? Will they give themselves, you know, a number of months to put their stamp on this party before they go to the polls? Who knows? Some might say Rebecca Schultz is the front runner, former minister of uh, of a children's services. We've we've talked to Leela Ahir on the show. We just talked to Rajan Sani, uh, former minister as well, who wants to be in wants to be leader. Brian Jean, Danielle Smith, some of the usual suspects when it comes to sort of the more right leaning side of the conservative spectrum in Alberta. But if Michelle Rempel-Garner, federal MP out of Calgary, really popular one, uh, you know, officially jumps in, I might also, I I sort of might declare the race over. It's not fair. It's not a smart thing to do as a pundit. Uh, We want to, you know, leave everybody believing that this could be a good horse race, but... What do you think? I mean, she says, basically, check this out from her tweets. I won't read the whole thing. Our province, she says, needs hope, a positive vision for the future, a conservative leader who can inspire Albertans and win. In recent weeks, I've been encouraged to seek the leadership. She goes on, talks about cost of living, federal liberal government, hostile to Alberta's interests. We can't allow the NDP or Trudeau to squander Alberta's future. Uh, Goes on, goes on, says, Alberta is, always has been my top priority. Today I can confirm I'm giving a provincial leadership bid serious consideration. I mean, come on. Right. She then also says she pulls herself out of Patrick Brown's conservative leadership campaign, which might be an early way to save face. I don't know. Anyway, she says <laughs> I no lo- she says I'm no longer participating in the federal conservative leadership race. She was one of two conservative MPs that Patrick Brown had still endorsing him. Uh, she says, I continue to be inspired by the optimism of Albertans. We always have been worth fighting for. I'll have more to say soon. Giddy up. She signs off Michelle Rempel Garner. Is she the next premier of Alberta?
3: Oh man, I I don't know, like maybe, but it's it's interesting that there Alberta tends to have a uh, history or at least some sort of precedent here of um, you know, federal politicians coming into provincial Alberta politics and being at least somewhat surprised or biting off more than they can chew and you know i think michelle rempel garnell is an extremely talented politician i think she's very smart um i think she is uh, much more grounded and you know much m- m- more realistic than i think a lot of other federal conservatives are and can be um but how does that play on the ground in alberta how do you go about uniting A social conservative faction um, of the party, an increasingly, you know, mistrustful of public institutions and government faction of the party, um, by someone who is arguably much more, you know, socially moderate and centrist on issues like when it comes to reproductive uh, freedom and choice, or you know, um, marriage equality or trans rights or, you know, other LGBTQ, uh, plus issues. Um, so I, I don't know, it, it'll be interesting to see, I guess, how that dynamic sort of plays out on the ground, but, and that's why I wouldn't necessarily call it, uh, right now or automatically say, yeah, it'll be a smooth sailing and she's a shoe in because of it.
0: Well, and people have looked really foolish in past, trying to pick the winning horse you know with uh i'm starting to talk like i know horse racing i was about to say with 3 furlongs left and you could have literally said know to what me that means. how yeah. long is a furlong <laughs> no fucking idea. <laughs> I don't know. But my point is, is that in, in Alberta, and you can talk with more authority on Ontario and Quebec politics, certainly, uh, but my familiarity comes, you know, names people will yeah. remember, like, you know, Jim Dinning and Gary Marr and Ted Morton and all these names where people are like, this is the next premier. This is the next conservative leader. And then, whoo, up through the middle has come Ed Stelmack and Alison Redford and all these unlikely party leaders. And so, uh, you know, you know, there, there's a lot that goes into it, obviously, membership sales and, and good ground games, politicians can can change or alter the course of what seems to be inevitable. But I'd, I'd be curious to see uh, that would be a big loss too, right? for the for the bench strength of the federal conservatives. If, if she were to leave there, it doesn't it doesn't really I don't know. There's not like yeah, a ton but like, of, it's, it's not it's not like the, the, the John Baird, Peter McKay, Ronna Ambrose, Jason Kenney bench behind Harper, right?
3: Yeah, it's not. So aside from Jason Kenney, which I, I would not include in that um bunch of being, you know, rather smart, somewhat more moderate, uh, conservatives. Um, I would say that, you know, and you kind of touched on this, maybe this is, was her way to sort of save face and tap out of the Patrick Brown campaign, but it also could be, um, a way, uh, for her to exit because the way that the polybear camp is, is going and conducting themselves right now. Yeah. Basically, anyone who wasn't pledging allegiance to dear leader and didn't want a coronation um, of this uh, leadership race isn't going to find themselves in that front bench and is going to find themselves on the outs. And, uh, you know, Michelle has been very heartfelt and very sincere about a lot of the missteps that the Conservative Party has made in the past, you know, on the Niqab issue, on the barbaric cultural practices, um, tip line on the, their opposition to the motion uh, M103, which condemned Islamophobia. And she's acknowledged the real harm that that has done to racialized communities, Muslims in, in, in particular, um, about this. It, it's clear that um, Pierre and those around him don't really want to acknowledge that or don't feel like they need to acknowledge that. And um, they're very much uh, the, you know, modern brand of conservatism, which is, you know, in your face, I drink liberal tears for breakfast sort of thing. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if she really fits into that anymore. And certainly Baird doesn't really anymore. I don't think Ronna Ambrose uh, would either. And I think that's why Jean Charest and Patrick Brown are having such a hard time Really gaining a foothold amongst like the traditional conservative membership because that's not simply who what the party is anymore. The the party has moved on.
0: Yeah. Uh, in closing, we have money. Uh, wait, we're wagering on whether or not you subscribe to download and listen to Spit and Chicklets, the hockey podcast.
3: Yeah, absolutely not. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, did you win your money on that? You should. Yeah, yeah.
0: I think John and I both felt the same way. Actually, we were looking for someone to (laughs) bet against. But uh, so Ryan Whitney, obviously, former NHL player. It's a really popular podcast goes on there the other day. You know the story. And he just for literally, Sapria literally for like 25 minutes. He tells this and he's a great storyteller. So it was funny. I listened to the whole thing, but I'm not going to play the clip now. The show would be over. Uh, But he just goes (laughs) off on Toronto's Pearson Airport. Sounds like he had a nightmare experience and he was there. It took him about 25, 26 hours to get home. Uh, on this journey, but blah, blah, blah. So he goes on and he basically says all these long lineups trying to get through Canadian customs, you know, backlogs to the tune of hours, people missing their flights. He, he, He says, people are telling me that it's because of Canada's vaccine mandates, that it's because if you didn't get vaccinated or fully vaccinated, you couldn't work. Uh, for Canada Customs, you couldn't work for Pearson Airport. There's staff shortages. There's huge backlogs. And I'm sitting there listening going, I'm sure that that was complicated in, in some industries or for some companies with some people who didn't get vaccinated. But I have a hard time believing that, that you can attribute all of Pearson's woes to that. Was this just a bad? You weren't there, but was this just a, a bad day for Ryan Whitney, do you think? Or does Pearson have a bit of a reputation as, as the nightmare he called it?
3: Yeah, so Pearson at the best of times is pretty bad, right? And so now it is just absolute chaos. But the notion that this is somehow all singularly because of either vaccine mandates or, um, you know, the entry uh, pre-random, the random testing that uh, upon arrival, some passengers were subject to is somewhat silly. I mean, it's multifactorial in nature. And if it was just about the mandates, then other airports around the world would be um, a lot freer of the chaos that we're seeing. But if you have an ability to Google, um, you will see that multiple international airports are dealing with these issues. And that's basically because it boils down to the fact that the, dem- the demand side of travel has spiked up in multiple Western democracies. People are itching to get back um, into whether it's work travel or you know traveling for pleasure, and it's also the summer. Um, and you know, airports and airlines haven't been able to keep up. Some of that may be because people were indeed laid off because they weren't vaccinated. Um, but we're also in a tight labor market more generally, um, and we also have to deal with the fact that again, um, people are still getting COVID, um, and so they're dealing with acute COVID—you uh, know, acute infections—is also as well as like lingering long COVID issues and. Again, if it was just about like these vaccine mandates, I mean, I don't know, uploading your vaccine credential or whatever is annoying, but like it doesn't lose your baggage for you. It doesn't Mm. cancel your flight for you. Right. Um, And so I just think it's an overly simplistic, reductive explanation um but yeah it was an entertaining video i guess and good for him
0: hmm. i i just uh as we wrap always great to talk to you Supriya. I, I just noticed i and this is i don't mean it to be rude but i i mm-hmm. as we're talking i checked twitter live and i see brian Mulrooney trending and i went uh oh um I, I, he's still alive um, but but he has gone on record. I don't know if you saw this, uh, I guess at Laval University last week, said that he no longer recognizes the Conservative Party of Canada. The, the The former Conservative Prime Minister says he couldn't really see himself within the party as it stands. Uh, quoted in the National Post, Pierre Polyev m- making a point about that today. Pretty pretty interesting stuff when the former Prime Minister says he couldn't see himself in that party today.
3: Whatever. Kretzian <laughs> Martin would say the same thing about these liberals. No, like, I don't know. Like the parties change, parties evolve, movements change, movements evolve. Like, yeah, I, I, maybe you're not seen in the party anymore. And I know like Martin liberals and Cretean liberals would say the same thing about the Trudeau liberals, but it's just like, I, all right. Like he was in power. I was like a literal child, right? Like a, almost a toddler. Like I don't I don't really know why. Now I'm like a middle-aged suburban mom.
0: Yeah. As a thought exercise real quick to wrap, what do you think that Jean Chrétien or Paul Martin would, would be at loggerheads with with regards to the current liberal government? What do you think would be the biggest thing they'd go, eh, I can't relate?
3: So e- either reproductive choice, mm. um, gender balanced cabinet, mm. or uh, deficits.
0: Okay. Love it. it Bing, particularly the, bang, the Martin people boom. would be
3: very hawkish on deficits right so yeah
0: have a wonderful weekend we love you and uh we'll talk to you next week if it works out
3: feelings mutual buddy talk all soon. right
0: you got it that's Sapria Devetti, senior council enterprise canada does a ton of other stuff you see her on power and politics here every friday here on real talk and uh we sure appreciate her time and her perspective i love that laroony well, doesn't even see a. Pl- i'm like this is remarkable this is astounding whatever she says. I love it. Whatever. (laughs) Whatever. I love it. People on the live chatter say, is reading my mind. I love it. This is real talk. Erica says, we should have more specialized privatization options in healthcare. We had to spend an arm and a leg to send my husband to the States for post-concussion syndrome at a specialty clinic. There were no options even here. Glenna says, uh, she thinks that Michelle Rempel Garner is a master manipulator. I mean, all the best politicians are. It's almost not really even an insult. (laughs) It says the NDP did not squander Alberta's future. The big lie is already there. Jason says the Daniel Smith sovereignty angle is puke worthy. I had to check on something to see if this was true. I can't even remember the fella's name. I should owe him an apology, but there's a guy running for a conservative nomination in Sherwood Park, which is if you're not from Alberta, it's just east of Edmonton. Mm -hmm. Sherwood Park will not appreciate being referred to as a bedroom community of Edmonton. We will not appreciate it. It's not a bedroom community. It's kind of like if Burnaby is a a bedroom community. (laughs) Yeah, it's more. Yeah, it's like a... uh, yeah, it's a rumpus. It's the rumpus room where the yeah. families gather. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, there's a there's a candidate, uh, a guy that's seeking a conservative nomination in Sherwood Park, and he and he says basically, I had to check it. I fact checked it yesterday to see if it was real or whether it was photoshopped. But he's running on the premise that he will fight for Sherwood Park and within Alberta, the sovereignty of Sherwood Park. What? Like it's not he doesn't it's not he doesn't not he's not concerned that Canada remain a sovereign nation he's not concerned that Alberta find its sovereignty angle he will fight for the community of Sherwood Park and its sovereignty within the province which is he amazing is the Robin Hood of Sherwood even, Forest <laughs> I don't even know where to start with that. <laughs> Corey says, Alberta needs a premier that works with uh, Canada, works with the federal government. No fighting with them for once. Yeah, I mean, a lot of great comments here. Really appreciate that. Yeah, Sharon says, I love Spree. She says she is real talk. That's awesome. Bradley. Oh, not just any Bradley. Dr. Bradley Martin. I just logged in. He says, sounds like I missed a good bit. The good news is you can always go back, watch it on YouTube. You can hit up the podcast. And, of course, you can live stream us if you're on the go using the Mixler audio app. We're going to get to our Real Talk roundtable in just a second. Plus, we have a great letter locked and loaded from Christy. It's not really a trash talk, so we're keeping it out of trash talk. We'll wrap up the show with that. Right now, I want to remind you the show happens because we have uh, sponsors that believe in the art of conversation. They believe in vigorous debate. They believe in bettering ourselves and, well, quite frankly, getting smarter. That includes the team at Athabasca University, Canada's online university. There's so many options here. You can take a class, of course. They've even got these micro courses. And then you can go through the full-blown degree programs as well. Whatever you're looking for, they've got it at Canada's online university. The best part about it, I mean, besides the fact it's world-class, accredited, online, digital, modern, accessible... It's flexible. You learn on your own pace on a schedule that suits your lifestyle. Kickstart the next phase of your life today by visiting AthabascaU.ca. Can we call up the tweet about the burger? Do you mind if we do this? So I was outside Dairy Queen Westmount. I told you about this just the other day. The, I went with the signature stack burger. This is the triple bacon cheese signature stack burger. And so I tweeted about it. I can call it up here on my profile if you want to see it. This is, uh, what can I say? Some people have questions, John, when I, when I said that. You know, I, I tweeted, I said, this burger didn't make it out of the parking lot. You can see there. <laughs> there it is. Oh, my gosh. One person quite rightfully said to me, what's it doing on the dashboard? And then I thought, well, number one, product placement. It's it's reheating it. Product placement. <laughs> got the Dairy Queen logo in the back. You got a logo underneath the burger there. More on that in just a second. I will be honest; it did leave a bit of a mark. Left a bit of a, and and I, I was sure to sort of wipe the dash clean before. No, I'm laughing
1: because our next guest Jody is like, put it in my mouth. She will ask. Well, maybe we'll ask them if the, what, what their
0: favorite signature stack burger might be. So I uh, so I post this, and it was awesome to hear from a bunch of people like Ryan Boland. He tweets at me. He says, "You go off menu for that? I didn't go off menu. <laughs> you don't have to know the secret it's password. Just it's just the it's just the bacon triple cheese signature stack burger." Paula says, yeah, no kidding. I said the burger didn't make it out of the parking lot. She goes, no kidding. That looks like a pullover. Grab the extra napkins out of the glove box kind of a burger. It was. (laughs) Ryan Hook chimes in. Journalist, he says, DQ burgers hit on a different level than other fast food joints. He's right about that. Kelvin says, all right. He says, that's got heart attack written all over it. As long as you don't have it every single day, pal. Nothing wrong with the triple cheese bacon (laughs) stacker. And of course, this from Nikolai. I wanted to share with you. Says, I couldn't believe the quality of my Dairy Queen burger. Not too long ago, it was a real surprise. Love it. Go find your surprise with the signature stack burgers at Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and in Sherwood Park. We were out there yesterday at Baseline Road park power is your friendly local utilities provider get your quote today compare rates what you're currently paying to what you could pay for electricity natural gas and internet you bundle all three together you'll save even more and 70 bucks is knocked off your first bill 70 bucks that's like a dinner delivered to your house that's like that's like festival passes 70 bucks with the promo code 2022-realtalk use that when you sign up for services at parkpower.ca You and the family off this weekend to pick up a few groceries. If there's a Friesen Brothers in your community, chances are there are, if you're coming to us from Alberta, 16 locations across the province, make sure you visit their Real Butchers. They've got every option available from the plant-based features for the grill all the way through to Real Alberta beef, pork, chicken, turkey. You're going to find it fresh. We were there shopping at the South Edmonton location the other day, you know what I love, John? Mm. They, had the, they had the guy there taking great pride in stacking the egg cartons, and I walked up to him and I said, tell me which ones I should buy. Like, which are literally the best eggs in the whole place? Mm-hmm. He goes, and he points to a certain one, he goes, well, these ones are from 30 minutes away, <laughs> sold! That's what you get when you go to a place that understands the value of local. Friesen Brothers, Alberta grown, Alberta owned. Well, every Friday we present the Real Talk Roundtable, and typically you get two or three experts on a, on a certain subject matter, people that have you know strong opinions on something, people that have lived experience, and, and we pick their brains. When we heard a pretty significant Canadian media announcement. I thought this has Real Talk Roundtable written all over it. And it's such a pleasure uh, to welcome two absolute beauties, uh, co-stars of a new show that's going to run on Czech TV on the West Coast. They'll tell us all about it. It's Steele and Vance. Linda Steele, Jody Vance together here on Real Talk this morning. To the both of you, a very happy Friday. How are you doing?
4: And a little bit hungry, starting to feel like having a burger with lots of bacon <laughs> and cheese on it.
0: Yeah, I didn't mean to sort right? of rub that in your face, but that's the power of advertising. As you know, if you're uh, if you're running the grill, or if you're putting a burger together at one of these you know parties where they have every single condiment available, and you're you're making your dream burger. Linda, you first. What goes on it? Cheese,
4: lots of cheese, cheese, bacon, pickles, mustard, a little bit of ketchup, and we're good to go.
0: I like it, Jody.
4: Well, funny enough, Ryan, I
1: worked at Dairy Queen. It was my first job I ever had, and Ooh. ever since working the brazier grill at the DQ, uh, I have made my burger the same way. I'm a purist. I love a fra- flame-broiled burger, ketchup, mustard, raw chopped onions, couple pickles, done. Done? No, I Now
4: I worked at Dairy Queen as well, What? and I would just like to say, Jody... Highway 16 in Hinton, Alberta at the Dairy Queen. And the worst job of all was to clean the grill oh, at yeah. the end of the yeah. night before you lock the door. That was not. Yeah, that. I Agreed.
0: learned. Uh, I learned all about uh, women's undergarments. Trust stick with me. I, this is I'll bring the story all the way around when I was like <laughs> seven or eight or maybe nine years old. I don't know. And th- there was a, a, a Dairy Queen. Um, how did you pronounce it, Jody? Brazier, right? Brazier
1: Burgers yeah. Brazier
0: Burgers It used to say it Right on the sign Right by my dad's office And every time we yeah. drive by I'd say Oh let's stop At the Dairy Queen brassiere. Brazier Brazier oh, oh my god And uh, <laughs> My mom yeah. My mom finally Like just gently Corrected me And said it's I think it's brazier Yeah so See
4: now my problem At the Dairy Queen Was that they're Very specific about How you do the cone Right Jody The curl. It has to be a certain height It has to be a certain Weight It has to have The little perfect curl I couldn't do it The way you're supposed To do it my cones were just massive gobs of ice cream. (laughs) And then you try to dip it in the chocolate thing and it was too heavy. So it would often drop off in there. So people would line up and request. No, I would like her to make my cone for me because it was usually about triple the size it was supposed to be.
0: There you go. Johnny and I, we're not trying to curse anybody, but we're always looking out for the employee that does the thing with the blizzard where they turn it upside down before they give it to you and just dumps it all over the, yeah, but Hey, never (laughs) happens. They're like a million for a million at this point. So, so, uh, uh, Steel Advance, it, it airs this fall. It launches this fall. Super cool. I want to talk to you about the business, mo- rather the ownership model yeah. of the TV station because it's super cool, but uh, not to imply that co-hosts always have to be pals, uh, but obviously there's a great rapport between the two of you. Have you been? Are you, are you kind of longtime friends, the two of you?
4: Yeah. Well, you know what happened to us? I was aware of Jodi because she was a big famous TV star in Vancouver at the time at Breakfast Television. So I knew who she was. Plus, I'm giving your bio, Jodi. She was the first woman in Canada to host her own national sports program on TSN. So yeah, I know who Jodi Vance was. I saw her in a restaurant once. That's Jodi Vance over there. But I didn't actually meet her until we were at CKNW. I had just been hired to host the afternoon drive Jodi was coming in and was gonna start sort of sussing out, did she wanna be co, uh, not co-hosting, but subbing in as a substitute host on shows. So that's how we met. And it turned out that Jodi became my co-host when my regular co-host was on vacation or away. She was the person who sat in so when you're doing a four-hour unscripted radio show and you're on the hot seat, you know, flying without a net, you get to know somebody pretty well. So that's me and Jody.
0: Oh, I love it, Jody. You had a you had a, a great career at Sportsnet for a lot of years talking sports, and then you made that transition uh, to breakfast television. You, you and I both hosted uh, breakfast television. It's a that, that sort of I don't know what you'd call it. I always said to people like a news magazine format where you might go to to grieving parents on a really tough news story, straight to like a, a cooking crate segment with a chef or interviewing a <laughs> comedian. And you really have to like develop these chops and make it look easy. Um, so you've, you've talked sports, you've done morning news magazine. Uh, you're working with Linda here. who's had a long career, obviously in journalism and news. What's your sweet spot.
1: My sweet spot is steel and Vance yeah. uh, working with uh, an Epic award-winning, brilliant, hardworking, kind, Fellow broadcaster, who I trust implicitly, and we will on September eighth at eight PM coming out of Jeopardy on Check. Nice, uh, where you can get Check Plus as well. So if you want to watch anywhere in Canada, you can get the free app Check Plus. Um, but Linda and I are at a place now where, as explained by you when you introduced us, you know we we've kind of established ourselves a little bit, Ryan, as have you, to uh, put ourselves in a position to really authentically give our perspective. I I like to say that we can watch the news for the exhausted citizen who's like, I don't watch news anymore because it's too stressful or what Mm -hmm. have you. Linda and I are ravenous about news, as are you, which is why we're so excited to come on here because we want to talk about what's happening and we want to really talk about what's happening. Check is Canada's only employee owned television station. So our colleagues, our coworkers, are the bosses, right? Like, so we aren't, when somebody wants to say, oh, the media is beholden to whatever, fill in the blank, we're not. We own this show. It's the steel advance show. We can do whatever we want on it. So tune in because you never know what might happen. <laughs> but we're certainly going to have a good time talking about uh, the fun stuff. At the same time, as you mentioned, Ryan, pivoting from the crepe segment to the really hard news piece. And yeah. that's why I'm so thrilled to work alongside an award-winning uh, journalist and investigative journalist, longtime six o'clock news anchor, as you well know. Um, and, and somebody who works so hard to make sure she has every fact in detail prepared for our audience. I'm really excited about that.
0: No pressure, Linda.
4: No, yeah, um, I know. Right. No. <laughs> there was, here's the thing, Ryan. So we were thinking the check thing might happen. We were also looking at uh, doing a podcast format And so we thought, okay, if we're doing check and it's a one hour show, take out the commercial breaks. It's about 45 minutes. Do we have enough juice? Do we have enough stuff to say? You know, let's sort of do some rehearsals. So we did a series of months and months and months of video Zoom rehearsals where we were unscripted. Okay, go. Hey, welcome to Steel and Bounce. And it would be like, oh, okay, we're at an hour 15. All right. <laughs> yeah. is clear. Clearly, we will have no trouble uh, filling the airspace. Oh, the key no. <laughs> is picking the right things. I mean, the news cycle is so hot that I could come up with just right now a list of like 25 things I would love to chew over with Jody. And we are coming at each other. Sometimes we're on the same side of things, and sometimes we're not. And sometimes we're talking over each other like, hang on, hold on, hold on, let let me finish. finish.
1: Wait, wait, make me make my point. People love love that that stuff. I mean, you look
0: at that, that's been the formula for daytime TV for, I mean, the shows like The View or The Social or whatever. I mean, that's that's what they do.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, we're kind of taking a little bit of a page out of The View format in that. We want to be topical. We want to be opinion-based. We want it to be a conversation. We want people, like Jody said, I just saw a survey the other day from Edelman. They do this trust barometer where they look at institutions like media, the legal system, et cetera. And they ask people, how do you feel? Where's your level of trust? And in Canada, we're still doing better than the rest of the world, but still. Trust has dropped, and I'll get these numbers slightly wrong, but it was low last year at something like 58%. Now it's down to 42% that's scary stuff. But a lot of people say, I'm tuned out. I'm exhausted. I'm sick of COVID. I'm sick of the political machinations and what have you. And so they're like, I'm out. And that's dangerous too, because we have to be engaged. There's important stuff going on in the world. And if you're not educated, interested, voting, you're not part of the solution either. So to Jody's point, We will do the heavy lifting for you. We'll watch, we'll observe, and we'll tell you what we think you need to know and how we feel about it.
3: Love it. And
1: then we're going to connect with our audience as well. There's going to be online platforms and the ability to to be a part of the program by way of literally chatting on our checkmedia.ca website. And we're going to kind of grow it like you have, Ryan, honestly, like found your audience who trusts you, knows you to be authentically clear thinking and, and, and transparent with your position on things. And, and and that's what Linda and I hope to follow in your footsteps.
0: Oh, well, I, okay. You put it that way. I appreciate that. Those, those are kind words. We've pulled um, I I, I want to like I'm just looking at the clock and I, I can't keep you here for like seven hours I want to pick your brain about this ownership <laughs> model of this TV station um, but okay. I know that, that people might also be curious to know your takes on uh, John and I have picked like five or six different items in the news we want to talk to you about but but uh, yeah that ownership model that's so cool and I feel a bit like a bit of an idiot I didn't know that that's really neat was it was it like just real quick did the employees like save the station or something or how did yes, that did. Uh, 100% the station was
4: going to go down the employees Went in, wow. they bought it, they're shareholders. And so, so are you cool two shareholders that? now? No, because we're freelancers. Okay. We moment. will be. So I mean yeah. I hope this to might be. change in the future. Yeah. But you know what it reminds me of, Ryan? It reminds me of ITV back in the glory days when it was an independent television station owned by Dr. Allard, and it was obsessively local. Yeah. And over the years, what's happened is because the media is not making the revenue that it used to and they're networkizing everything. So all those shows at Global and CTV look exactly the same right across the network. They have one reporter doing one point of view, sending the story to 12 different stations. And Czech is uh, obsessively local, but also in a BC way. So what they wanted to do, because they're based in Victoria, was make people realize that they are connecting to the entire province, and they wanted more Vancouver content. So we'll be the third show, I believe, coming out of Vancouver. And I will say the first show that has two uh, lady bosses in charge, the other two shows are run by... Possibly talented men, but nice. uh, anyway, we'll, we'll
0: be different. That's amazing. I love it. Uh, let's uh, let, let's talk, uh, you know, let's get into some items in the news. I hope we don't blindside you with any of these stories. I doubt it. They're developing stories. It's mostly stuff that's happening yesterday, overnight, into this morning. Uh, Martin Dunphy from the Georgia Strait in your neck of the woods, um, sharing this story FIFA, the world governing body for soccer. Not sure if you heard about this. Edmonton feels like it just got kicked in the teeth, quite frankly, but it's good news for yeah. Vancouver, uh, one of the official host cities, two in Canada of an unknown number of World Cup 2026 games. In Canada, this comes after BC's premier, John Horgan, so-called flip-flopped on his previous refusal to host. Uh, Meantime, you've got Edmonton, which has a huge and rich tradition when it comes to soccer, the beautiful game in Canada. And what appears to be loggerheads between Edmonton City Council and Alberta's provincial government, the provincial government. And it's not nothing. Uh, it was a one hundred and ten million dollar commitment they were looking for to make improvements to Commonwealth Stadium. And the provincial government had all these sort of requirements, including a minimum of five games, two pretty significant like knockout games, so to speak. They wanted them in Edmonton. I guess that's not how FIFA rolls. And so Edmonton gets zero in our home city right now. A lot of people are pretty discouraged. It's a bad yeah. look, I think, for the city. How is this news landing on the West Coast? Jody?
1: Well, I'm going to say that that was the flaw uh, for Edmonton from my perspective. But certainly I've not been, been involved in, in the process, as it were. But putting in those caveats of must-haves, when you look at the overall um, allotment, I guess, of games. I mean, the U.S. is going to have 80 and Canada's going to get ten, yeah. And that's not surprising because the United States is the largest market in the world. And while we have seen some great successes in Canada um, in soccer, certainly uh, with our Canadian women's team and now with the yeah. uh, national men's team, it's it's really something special. It, what's very bizarre here in British Columbia is when FIFA came to uh, us to Canada and said, "Okay, who's going to write us a blank check?" the BC government said not us we we don't have a blank check for you fifa and then all of a sudden right around we the time a the check. canadian right around yeah. the time the canadian men made it in you know all of a sudden it's like hmm, how how wait a minute um so you know the changes that are to come at bc place stadium for me personally as a sports broadcaster i find it a little unusual because when the women wanted to uh, upgrade to a natural turf field at bc place it was way too expensive next to impossible all of a sudden doable weird yeah weird
4: that is weird
1: so uh, but i'm excited about soccer coming here i mean i love sports and this is at sports at its highest level and it's going to be amazing um but it's not going to help with affordability in this town
0: I mean, people. Yeah. I, I don't even want to put the. I don't even want to put this out there into the. I was going to say, could it get any more expensive? In, but yeah, I probably can. Is the answer? It
1: can. Yeah, it, will. it
0: can. Um, yeah. It, it, Jody, <laughs> it's safe to say, right? Like your years in sports, it's safe to call it. The, it's the biggest sporting. Ter- it's 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 arguably. Do I want to say it bigger than the Olympics? It's right up there, right? It is. Like people no, will World, World Cup, easily, right? Here's and so-
1: why. Here's why, Ryan, because. Uh, in the Olympics, they're multifaceted, obviously beautiful, uh, uh, amazing athletes, uh, you know, finding their personal best in all of these various disciplines. But the thing about soccer is it reaches every single corner of this planet because you only need something to kick around to become exceptional at it. You do not need to be wealthy in order to become the world's greatest soccer player. We've seen that. We've seen that over the years. And that's what's special about football i love that you just
4: need to be wealthy enough to get a ticket to go to one of these games at bc plays yes yes oh man i can't even
0: i don't even and then the secondary market what's that going to look like so that'll be 2026 linda so vancouver will be host there calgary wanted to be hosting the winter olympic games in 2026 that bid didn't go well there was a plebiscite, and now in vancouver uh looks like the city's considering can you bring us up to speed on this a 2030 so 20 years after the 2010 games
4: so what's interesting about it is what's different about this bid is that it's indigenous led. So the various um, first nations in and around the Vancouver area, they are the ones leading the charge on this. And it would be a big sort of reconciliation focus to this. What is unclear about it is how much uh, tax dollars would go into it. They said, they're not going to have the dollar figures until July. There are some people, and there was one city council who said, okay, okay, I don't know if this is the time that we should be looking at shoveling a bunch of money into another big sporting event when we have the opioid crisis and housing crisis and nobody can find a family doctor in BC. Uh, But uh, she said there should be a referendum on it. So she put down a motion and the other city council has said, I'm not even going to entertain it. That's disrespectful to the indigenous uh, people who are leading this bid. So it's a little bit tricky. We don't really know. And I'm in this funny spot because I missed the Olympics by a couple of months. When I moved here, they had already been over. I went to CTV where I was working and everybody was still basking in the glow of how fabulous the Olympics were. And it was, oh, I wish I would have been here. So part of me would like to experience it. And part of me wonders if that's where the focus should be right now. So yeah. I'm one of those people who's in the middle.
0: I'm not like, I, I don't think you can throw the Olympics for free, obviously, but I mean, no. it, it's sort of now we took, we had an interesting conversation earlier this week on the show, how the it's changing with regards to where the IOC is awarding the games to, do I say less controversial countries? Um, yeah. It was kind of an interesting angle yeah. on that, but also the cost and, and in particular, like Beijing and Sochi and some of the games that have bled billions and billions of dollars um, BC, I have to assume 20 years, maybe an infrastructure, timeline 20 years is is like a long time but i have to assume that they've built they have the venues at whistler they built the sea to sky highway they built the canada line they they, they'd invested jody right in 2026 for the world cup and bc place had like a 600 million dollar facelift like five years ago or something didn't it so so can you throw these I'm, i'm saying this facetiously but can you throw the games on the cheap so to speak
1: And that's why. And the IOC is starting to look at places, because the bidding process isn't as robust as as it has been in the past because of the cost associated with this, starting to revisit places where the games have been held before, because the infrastructure has been built, already exists. The issue here in Vancouver, and I think the one that that puts Linda and I both in a position of, really, are we doing this right now? Because there's no way to tuck away the homelessness issue there's no way to tuck away the opioid crisis ah, that is at place they did, they, they did. Okay. no but i'm saying to, again there's no there's yeah. no place okay. for that again and the place where the athletes village was built was going to be all affordable housing it was going to be a place for the people of vancouver it was going to be payback time yeah all of those places sold for ridiculous like two thousand dollars a square feet okay 1600 but still a square
0: foot that is affordable it, in vancouver
4: it is. Well, and, and they did actually tuck the homeless people away. You can't do they it again. again. Uh,
0: they we're like, yeah.
4: oh, we need to get them all out of the way because that's inconvenient and ugly. But now the indigenous uh, group that's leading this bid is saying maybe we can actually address the housing unaffordability and, affordability and right. the lack of rental housing and what have you by building, again, more housing on they own a bunch of land in around vancouver that's in prime locations and they're talking about building the athletes village there and maybe using this as a way to help alleviate some of the housing issues and fast
1: track it and fast track it like if yeah. it's if it's coming it gets built like olympic village went up really really quickly it's true because of the games because the deadline like we're I I remember the weeks leading up to the games it was like is it going to be done I don't know if it's going
0: to be done. Is well like how, done? Many bad, done. how many bad how many bad head on car wrecks were there outside Squamish and that highway didn't get twinned until the Olympics were coming, right? I mean yeah. It, yeah. the Olympics is justification. I think that's probably why a lot of people want them. Uh, it's not like if if there's an accountant or like uh, you know a planner or, or somebody accountable for spending that's listening to my take on this they're just going, "Ayvey, but if you do need something done, <laughs> Try to get the big events because it's how you can say to the public, yeah, like we got to just build this two point six billion dollar highway. We got to build this three billion dollar transit line. And people are like, well, I guess we need it. And then, you know, this city's benefit from it, like Calgary. Even from the '88 games, I was ten years old when those games touched down, and and you look at what it did. It brought the hack. I mean, these people say maybe these are small things. I'm not sure that they are. The the Hockey Canada training facility. All the majority of Canadian speed skaters have trained out of Calgary for years. It became this center yeah. for sport and excellence. Canada Olympic Park. The, the what it did for Calgary in Western Canada. Calgary always kind of had that middle sibling complex, right? It would look to its left at Vancouver, look to its right at Toronto, and always, you know, it was, that's just the the persona. That's kind of the the whole thing about calgary at least my perception growing up there and the games were yep. a, a, huge for that city
4: the problem is that often the games are to bring uh, you know an international spotlight to your city for economic growth and what have you and a lot of people blame expo 86 for having started the affordability crisis in housing and that the olympics exacerbated that vancouver the last thing it needs to do is go hey everybody look how great and beautiful this is come on right down here. We have nowhere for you to live. We don't even have anywhere for all the 400,000-some immigrants that the Trudeau government wants to bring in. And a sizable number of them will want to settle in Vancouver, Metro Vancouver, B.C. We we ain't got no housing here. I'm tell you right now, we have people who grew up here who are being forced to move out because they cannot find even rental property. Yeah, There's not, yeah. nothing available. Let me, and uh, you can even afford either.
0: Uh, pop in on our live chat here. I love this from Sharon, who says, uh, people are still pissed. In Vancouver over the treatment of the homeless in 2010. Uh, She says Vancouver. Uh, with regards to an indigenous-led bid, she says it it, it might be different. She says, we think different. Uh, I love that from Sharon. I appreciate that. You know what? A, a family story for us, which is kind of interesting. I'll tell it in two sentences. Uh, my uncle, so he married my dad's sister, Jungle Jim Hunter, one of the founding members of the Crazy Canucks, like a, a World Cup champion, uh, won Olympic bronze in Sapporo, I mean, an incredible skier, uh, man against the mountain. And the uh, National Film Board did a film on his story. I mean, just a remarkable Canadian success story. Uh, Uh, skied along Ken Reed and Steve Podborski and Dave Irwin and all the greats, right? And so, I mean, he was just a proud Olympian. He was the general manager of the Olympic Torch Relay in 1988. Like my Uncle Jim, Jungle, we call him Jungle, Uncle Jim. Love it. Like, is the Olympic Games. His eldest yeah. daughter, my closest cousin age-wise, Anna, are uh, one of them anyway. Uh she's she's just like lives this life of passion and engagement and she's incredible and she takes exactly zero shit from anybody and she was living in <laughs> Vancouver. She was a business owner in East Van on East Hastings at the time this awesome yarn store called Bad Anna's uh which oh. she, which which she has she has since sold. But anyway, Anna Anna was was and is a huge huge advocate for people the marginalized the downtrodden the disrespected the destitute etc and Anna fought prominently and publicly, leading protests against the Olympic Games in 2010. And the Globe and Mail, I think it was, did a fascinating full-page spread on Jungle and Jungle's daughter, and the nice. the, the Canadian connection to in the attention. Olympic Games and the pushback in Vancouver. I just got chills as I said it. It was. I remember reading that story, just being like, "Wow." I mean, it, and I want I, that link. I want. The, yeah, I'll, that I'll, link? I'll track it down. I'll find it. I'll yeah. tweet yes, it out. Please. I'll tweet it out today for sure. So it just. Awesome. I mean, not everybody agrees. Obviously, the Olympic Games get people talking we're going to run out of time and I want to do kind of rapid fire because we've we've got okay. so much to talk about but we, we just talked to Sapria DeVetti out of Oakville Ontario she's waiting for an eye surgery we talked about Doug Ford there's like a million people waiting for surgeries in Ontario still a resounding majority win for him recently in the provincial election we look yeah. at Canada's west coast and Premier John Horgan whose approval kind of like bumped up a little bit from initial numbers in COVID is now struggling a little bit Linda what do you read into this?
4: Well, I mean, for one thing, they've just pitched this big new Royal BC Museum idea, which they're saying in the midst of a crisis in trying to find a family doctor, long wait lists, the opioid crisis, the housing crisis, the Horgan government comes out and in a somewhat tone-deaf way says, we're going to shut down the highly popular BC Museum, we're going to shut it down for almost a decade and we're gonna spend a billion dollars to build a brand new one. people are going, like, whoa, like, hang on, there's nothing wrong with the museum we have. You could renovate it, you don't need to shut it down for 10 years, and there's a better way to spend a billion dollars. A poll just came out showing somewhere in the neighborhood of almost 70 percent of British Columbians are going no to this Royal Museum idea. And so I think that in conjunction with some of these other critical issues are starting to push Horgan's numbers down a bit, but I believe he's still the third most popular premier in the country.
0: Hmm. So if there were an election to be held today, you think that his his NDP government would survive? Yeah. probably Um, but by the way fact check it ran in the Toronto Star the story Uh, just to bring things back to talking about my family it's been about 60 (laughs) seconds since we last focused on us Um, Petty Fogg the reporter it ran March 24th 2007 she's not in her dad's shadow reads the headline and check this out Vancouver uh, out of Vancouver growing up in Calgary the daughter of one of Canada's most well-known Olympians and a child of the ski hills Anna Hunter was groomed to be standing on the podium after a gold medal run but these days she's more likely to be chased by Vancouver police on the streets during protests and led away wow. in handcuffs. So so Whoa. the story begins. Yeah, so I'll share that with Here's you. The bad Anna. There's the bad There's the bad Anna's. How are the two of you <laughs> wrapping your minds around what's going on like are you paying attention Jody or, or Linda with with the January 6th committee hearings and the Donald Yeah? What I mean I what can't. sort what sort of jo- I mean there's so many angles we could take on this but what's really jumping out at you about it?
1: I the the tentacles of this. How far reaching it is, whether it be the white supremacist groups or uh, the far right leaning or radicalized even members of the U.S. government, the the tours that were taken of the Capitol, how close the rioters got to Vice President Mike Pence, how significant the threat was, how much Trump knew, how all of the people around Donald Trump within that White House knew what he was putting forward was a bunch of garbage and still publicly didn't say it. Like the, And and the excuse around, you know, if we said it out loud, we would have been pushed out and then someone wor- worse might have been put in. If they had gathered together as one voice, we wouldn't be sitting where we are right now, looking south of the border at a democracy crumbling at at its pillars, as well as at the same time, I'm not sure if you saw the, um, the survey that was done about... How various uh, slices of society are seeing this. And it's like one third or one quarter of Republicans believe that January 6th was
4: justified. I mean, you know, and the other thing too is that Donald Trump's approval ratings have gone up since January 6th. So I'm watching this and I'm thinking, okay. even the most dyed in the wool republican the most you know blinded partisan has got to watch what they have started to unroll in these committee hearings and go oh my god to me yeah. it seems clear that donald trump uh was corrupt is obviously a malignant narcissist is a liar uh was so you know determined to hold on to power at any cost that he was willing to sort of up in the Constitution, throw democracy out the window. I think, based on what they found, I know it's up to the Justice Department, I can't see how he's not charged criminally. And yet, you know, half of Americans probably are going, well, yeah, well, bah, it's a nothing burger, ma. You know, boring. And I'm how thinking, about the money, huh, though? I insane. used to get,
1: I used to get the Donald Trump emails because I like to sign up for things and just see what they're saying. Sucker and I, time. I got those emails. The emails like one more time, your last chance, one dollar. Sign up for this. We'll automatically take it off your credit card. I'm like, what? So this fraud, this big lie, the fraud on fraud on fraud on fraud on fraud getting everyday Americans. One woman didn't even realize that her visa card was being charged up to the tune of $3,100. She didn't have two dimes to rub together. And here she is like on the hook for this because she thought she was standing with her president and they raised $250 billion, like some crazy amount of money, a million dollars. A quarter billion. A quarter billion dollars on this grift. Sorry, my B and M. It's the museum that got me on that one, Linda, because I still can't believe that the museum in BC is almost a yeah. million dollars in budget with no plan. But that's the thing that really makes me uh, wonder about, you know, the, and that money that was supposed to stop the steal was, and what, every time they say it, I think of you, Linda, I'm like, my good steal. But the the
4: stop the steal campaign was all about paying Trump's legal bills. It was crazy. Oh, it's and crazy. then they were like moving some of that money into Trump enterprises and nobody really knows what they His were hotels. using that for, or if it was just sort of, you know, going into the Trump family pockets. But at the end of the day, what is almost more sickening than Trump's behavior is the fact that he had so many enablers around him. And yeah. even at the last minute they were telling him this is to Bill Barr's words. Bullshit. This is insanity. The stuff that you're trying to suggest is illegal. It's unethical. There's everything is wrong about it, but there's Ivanka and all the rest of them standing around not able to control this egomaniac who I don't even think Donald Trump is a Republican. Honestly, I think he's an opportunist. Uh, I really do. I think for him, it's personal, ego-based, wants to be in power, wants everybody to love him. Mm, Doesn't really give a shit about what happens to democracy. That's now I'm starting to sound like, oh this bugs no, me. No, you're history. starting to what's st- interesting though, because
1: you're very conservative, Linda. So it's like when somebody wants well, to I'm jump not very
4: on, conservative. No, but
1: people might consider you to be a fairly uh, BC, centered center yeah, to conservative. Right. But if somebody's there's there's very little room for middle ground in US politics. That's that's where I was going with yeah. that. And there needs to be more people like Linda like Jody, like Ryan, who are able to have the conversation and point to the flaws in the system to point the criminality, perhaps in some areas, which I think this hearing is is bringing forward the criminality associated with this without saying, if you're not with us, you're against us, which mm. is all too often the case.
0: Yeah. Seven hours of phone logs missing during the January 6th insurrection, L- oh. like like Nixon's Curious. missing 18 minutes. They they yeah. argue, says Joanna Robin in uh with uh abc news here but but you know, i mean it's like but hillary's emails right and, and actually but know, her I, i'm just but her emails and i'm not i'm not sitting here being like i'm not campaigning for hillary clinton i'm just saying it's just amazing no, to me she's politically
4: not a perfect yeah like yeah.
0: i'm not i'm not endorsing hillary clinton i'm just saying it's amazing that like there's some she used her gmail for some stuff but trump has seven hours missing on one of the worst well, days in american history and nobody cares think
4: about it Think about it. Do you remember when Mitt Romney was running and hoping to be the next U.S. president and he got taken down by saying the unfortunate words he had a binder full of women? What he meant was he had a bunch of female candidates in mind for some top positions. For having said it that indelicately, it essentially exploded his career. If you think to the hundreds and thousands of lies and egregious, outrageous things that Donald Trump has done and still has... Half of America going, He's my guy. I hope he runs again. I'm just thinking, what? It's like some collective brainwashing bizarro drank the Kool-Aid thing.
0: Yeah. Jody says it all. She's like, Yeah, and uh, assault, <laughs> right? Just, and to, assault. Yeah. just to just to, oh yeah, and that too. Yeah,
4: and, and that other stuff. Can
0: you guys say bullshit on check? It's still on like and they're gonna yes. have to have
4: a bleeper button. Yeah,
0: they'll sure. have, have a My goal a is to make Linda Steele <laughs> swear. This, whoever I gets that to whoever will gets not take much you're gonna have to have you, know, you, you need somebody and and here's the deal actually this is great John and I both know having worked in game production in the highest level for the National Hockey League uh, some of the most talented people who are all uh, now virtually and, and Jody how much time have you spent in ranks uh, a, a lot of people out of work right now and these are the amazing people that had those trigger thumbs that did the goal lights right yeah. the, oh, but, yeah. but now a lot of, most of the goal lights self trigger and uh, you're gonna need someone because that, that goal light if, if you if you lit it up when it was not a goal you couldn't you couldn't be twitchy but you also want to
4: Unring the bell. You yeah. can't
0: unring, but you wanted to have Gotta it right You're, you're going to need that yeah. person bleeping out your, just getting ahead of you there. You know? Thank
4: you. Yeah. Thank okay.
0: Well, best no of thing. luck to the both of you. Uh, I, I hope that this is just the beginning of many recurring visits, the two of you here yeah. on Real Talk. We Anytime. Can't wait. Yeah, you said what? September 8th, right? That's when the yes. show launches. Eight
4: o'clock.
0: Okay, amazing. Coming out
1: of Jeopardy. Coming out of Jeopardy. So watch Jeopardy, amazing, then watch too, Steel and
0: Vance. Which is amazing, yeah. I love yeah. it. Uh, we're all going to get smarter and then get even smarter after that. You can check out <laughs> checknews.ca. Steel and Vance, September 8th. It's Linda Steele, Jody Vance, two great friends of Real Talk. Have an amazing weekend, and thank you for doing this.
1: You too. Thanks, Ryan. That's Anytime.
4: Right. Right. All right, I good
0: it. stuff. Yeah, let us know what you think about what you just heard from these two. Uh, I know that sometimes... A round table will kind of get you thinking as you're walking your dog or you're sitting on the sideline at the kids' soccer game or you're out for your run. I was, I have these things. I see people running, uh, you know, on the side of the River Valley Road. It's this beautiful road in Edmonton. It just yeah. runs right past the golf course, runs right past the, you know, and then up the hill, Grote Road, one of the coolest, windy San Francisco-style roads. And and I see people running with their AirPods, and I go, I wonder if they're listening to real talk. <laughs> Do you ever think maybe I should go for a run? You know where that hurts? <laughs> <laughs> that hurts right here in my heart, John. That hurts right here in my heart. Oh, I just want you to be healthy. Um,
1: what just happened? I, I didn't mean you aren't.
0: I just, you know, no one on the podcast is going to hear you. this. We're pulling this part out. <laughs> Our friends at Sherwood and Saint Albert Dodge are going to be busy this week, and you know, tis the season. People are looking for something to pull their boat, pull their trailer, something to get them into the back country, or quite frankly with gas at $1.89 a liter for regular 87 octane unleaded. People are looking maybe to downsize, get something more fuel efficient, whatever your story is. They've got your solution, the perfect fit at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. They can work together with the two dealerships to make sure that you get exactly what you're looking for. You can also build your vehicle custom online by visiting their websites. You can find them under the sponsors tab on ours at ryanjesperson.com. Landscape Edmonton is where you'll find our friends at Eden Landscaping. You know, this is the time of year where people are looking outside and going, our outdoor space could be so much better. Looking at your lame ass front lawn, you look at the neighbors, theirs is looking so good. It all starts with a visit to landscapeedmonton.ca. Mike can work with your vision. He knows that some of you have pretty specific stuff. Mike's on Pinterest. I go, you're on Pinterest? He goes, yeah, you got to be in this line of work. People have their boards pinned of all their inspiration. Then they bring your outdoor space to life. They don't leave till you're satisfied. People love them. That's why they have so much return and referral business. Landscapeedmonton.ca is where you'll find Eden Landscaping. Our friends at Kubi Energy, so excited to have them stepping up as big-time sponsors at the Real Talk Golf Classic next Thursday. Day We're going to see them June 23rd, so happy to have them there. They provide solar energy solutions to power your life and their team. It's a great team, a great corporate culture they've put together. They always tell me that I said, what do you want me to say? They say we're not some lame ass corporation. They're like if, if, if you're a mover and a shaker, if you're talented, if you know you're skilled, if you love working for a dynamic team. Apply today to work at Kubi Energy. They're literally always hiring. You can find more details, contact them online at kubienergy.ca. And Infinity Healthcare is where many Western Canadians, in particular Albertans are going for trusted home care services. You wanna learn more about what they provide? Just go to the services link at infinity-8.ca. You can learn more about home support, personal care, nursing care, what's that all about? Well, nursing care services can include things like medical administration, monitoring vital signs dementia care even palliative and end-of-life care it's an important and sensitive line of work it's a calling and that's what infinity healthcare is proud to do before we get to trash talk i wanted to read this email from christy but i didn't want to do it in the trash talk voice you know what i'm saying just being real with you she wrote in on supervised consumption services we talked about it we've talked about it on and off The political angles of it, Uh, what Pierre Polyev, what Jason Kenney are saying, Professor Ben Perrin was Stephen Harper's lawyer. He joined us on the show earlier this week. He's done an about face with regards to his perspective with evidence based policy, peer reviewed studies. It was a remarkable conversation. You've got to hear it just a few days ago. It prompted Christy to write in. She says uh, some years ago, I lived in a house with a basement suite. Uh, I had two big. Busy dogs who love to bark. It was a bad decision right out of the blocks, but the situation deteriorated uh, even from that. It began when a particular downstairs tenant and her boyfriend, both addicted to what I assume was meth, moved in. The young fella I came to find out was charged with attempted murder, actually, uh, and a bunch of other similar crimes standard possession, trafficking, vehicle theft. It was a mess. People came and went from the property at all hours, all hours. Name an hour, people were coming and going, including the RCMP banging on the back door after midnight almost every night, it seemed. What a delight. Eventually, she threw the boyfriend out, but the situation didn't improve. It seemed the only scene that she knew was a bad one, and it grew progressively worse, and I was terrified, quite frankly, says Christy. Most days, I would have rather burned the house down than gone home. These weren't white-collar addicts. They were the so-called white trash stereotype that so easily comes to mind when you think of people driven to crime. It's easy to call them losers. I've done it more than I'd like to admit it's easy to feel self-superior and disdainful and I've done that too as an aside we need to take time to consider why we're more comfortable with white collar drug users than we are with white trash drug users we tell ourselves in conversations there are just as many white collar drug users as white trash ones if not more to what what purpose does that serve Why does that help us justify helping people in need? As if no one's ever done anything heinous while wearing an expensive suit. We need to reckon with that. I can certainly appreciate people's opposition to supervised consumption sites near their homes. I get it, man. Oh boy, do I get it. I probably wouldn't be happy about it either. Talking about that small portion of my life still years later makes me feel afraid, unsafe, tired, anxious, unsettled, all at once. And it probably will for a long time to come. But My feelings don't come anywhere near the importance of people's lives. I moved to a different house. I replaced my stolen items. You don't get a life back. You don't get to tell someone's mother or their child that their feelings, that your feelings are more important than their beloved family member's life. And when this conversation comes up, I often think of an Arabic saying, they killed the victim, then attended their funeral. Build the supervised consumption sites. Build them everywhere. And put a giant fuck your feelings banner on them. They should be as conspicuous as Starbucks and as prolific that from Christy I love it you can let me know what you think about it you can be in touch with the show anytime talk at ryanjesperson.com the hashtag real talk RJ every Friday or at least the last show of every week our friends at local environmental give us a chance to blow off a little steam Johnny gives us a little rock and roll and we get into your real emails to talk at ryanjesperson.com it's a tradition we call trash talk all right this one from Johnny, who says, I work in a place uh, that subscribes to a coffee service, uh, but we love the coffee so much and blew through it that the boss went out and bought a pound of coffee for the workplace. And quite frankly, it stinks. It's terrible. It's disgusting. And this is what we get for straying away from our coffee sponsor. He says, just a quick note. I will not continue to drink this sludge, this swill, this... trash signed Johnny I can relate I just wanted to point it out I fucked up and I just thought this was a good venue to do it this is (laughs) terrible this is the worst coffee we've had in months we gotta get back to Yeg Coffee Club we blew through our six pounds for the month delivery day is coming up anyway I just wanted to give you a special shout out there, pal. (laughs) I wrote the email. All right. Now, this is a real one. This is one from Raging Grandma. She signed off Raging Grandma, so I won't use her real name. I don't know if she wants me to use it, but she says, what does it take to flick Up or down that little arm by the steering wheel, everybody. You're saying, you know, what does it take? What happened to driver's etiquette? Specifically in school drop-off zones? Can you not see I've done a drop-off? You know, I'm waiting for my signal. Hell no, better run your own way. You self-honk at me as I try to edge out. Give me that look, eh? Same as the parents angle parking the back of the place. Where's the courtesy? Stop, let us back up. These double parkers, the angle parkers making a mess. Swinging open doors, let your kid out without even thinking. Wait, you know what? You know what, people? Says raging grandma. It's time instead of dropping off your kid, that you go back to school and learn common courtesy. Maybe reread your vehicle's driver's manual or research on where and what the vehicle's turn signal is for. And then she signs off. Have a great day, morons. That's from Raging Grandma, and I hope that she feels better. Love it. Keep them coming. And Leslie chimes in, says, memo to every politician. This is the one I was talking about earlier. A memo to every politician running on or even considering running on a platform of fighting Ottawa, fighting other provinces." is fighting for so-called Alberta sovereignty. This is exhausting. All this fighting. Not even fighting really, actually. Saber rattling. Trash talking, if you will. But when's the last time one of these people actually accomplished something as opposed to talking about what they're going to accomplish or fight for until they move on to talking about fighting for something else? Huh? I love Western Canada, says Leslie. I spent my entire life in BC, Alberta, Manitoba, but I didn't backpack Southeast Asia with a provincial flag on my backpack. I sewed that maple Leaf on and wore it proudly still do i'm keeping an eye on the ucp leadership race i've enjoyed the candidate interviews on real talk so far thank you leslie she says i might even consider buying a membership to vote if a candidate catches my attention with their empathy experience and vision tell us how you'll work with neighboring provinces and the federal government to accomplish what the people want That's what would impress me. It's seriously that simple. That from Leslie. Trash Talk is presented by Local Environmental. You can learn more about what they do. Request a quote today at localenvironmental.ca. Coming up on Monday, I'm so excited to check back in with paleontologist Steve Brussati. This guy digs up dinosaur bones for a living. He just worked on the newest Jurassic World film. He was the scientific consultant. He's going to tell us what it's like to work on some of Hollywood's biggest blockbusters. And coming up on Tuesday, National Indigenous People's Day. Shea Bird will join us to talk about the future of indigenous tourism. And I'm thrilled that my friend Chevy Rabbit, a human rights advocate, has agreed to join us as well. That's Tuesday, the 21st of June. In the meantime, have an amazing weekend real talkers we love you we'll see you bright and early monday morning
2: real talk is hosted by ryan jesperson executive producer josh dunford technical producer john hicks general manager katie cook shivers account coordinator lawrence dr human resources lena shepherd website design mike johnston Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duveti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Metis settlements and the Metis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out RyanJesperson.com.